Um, praise God. Uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. And um, tonight, I um, want to talk to you, uh, continuing with lesson three. Lesson three talks about the will of God. And it's when we get to that place when we want to know what is God's will for our life. And we begin to ask that question, God, what would you have me to do? How would you want me to live? How, how do you want me to respond to these situations, God? Would you guide my steps and seeking God's will? Uh, and so this, that's what this lesson is about. Last week we talked about, does anybody remember what last week's lesson was? Say that again, sister. The lost are led. And we talked about how that there is this drawing and God is reaching towards individuals and he's reaching towards everybody. And there's going to be not a single person who's lost who will be able to say they never had an opportunity because there's that constant draw. And we have a very attractive Savior. He's a very loving, he's very, his loving kindness, his mercy. And so um, that's what we talked about last week. And today we're going to talk about the water cellar. The water cellar from Isaiah 55. And so we're just going to go to Isaiah chapter 55 and um, tonight. But before we go, actually before we go to Isaiah 55, let me read this verse from Psalm chapter 65, verse 4. It says this, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. That word blessed, if you were to look up the word blessed, it means how happy, or it means happiness. So nothing less than salvation in its fullest truth can make you happy. People are looking for happiness outside of God, but nothing less than salvation in its fullest truth can make you happy. So God chooses us and continues to choose us to be saved. Number one, because of his love. And it's through his forgiveness and he calls to us. God causes us to come to himself. There's that attractiveness. There's something so powerful about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about anyone else, but I felt that. I have felt that in services. I felt that his love towards me. I felt... Um, you know, that embrace, I felt that just, just the goodness of God. And how could God love such a rascal like me? But he does. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He loved us. He loves us still. His goal is our salvation. His goal is our restoration. He wants us to be restored. Our result in following is satisfaction in harmony with God. So the process reveals the principles and the principles reveal the process. So to keep a child from picking up a breakable vase, 
or other dangerous item, a wise parent will get their attention. Offer them something, some distracting toy to replace their desire for the vase. You know, you go, hey, look, look right here. You know, try to get their attention, distract them from whatever they were going to do. Hey, look at this and give them something else. Encourage them to get the toy and help them realize the danger of playing with that vase. So that's what a wise parent does. And God is doing so much to get our attention every day. He's reaching for everyone in this room. For you, Josh. The Lord is reaching for you. Yeah. So let's talk about the story of the water cellar from Isaiah chapter 55. And we're going to start at verse 1. And let's see if we can, what we can figure out from the water cellar. There's a lot of water being sold these days. You go, I mean, I remember when I was younger, I couldn't believe that people would buy water. I thought that was silly. I'm like, are you kidding me? People are going to buy water. You can just go to the faucet and get a drink of water. But now that I am involved in the plumbing industry, I prefer a bottled water over what's coming through those pipes. Because, you know, I put those pipes together. And sometimes there's flux and there's solder. And I don't know if anyone's ever got a taste of flux. I have, you know, it doesn't taste that good. They do have the water-soluble flux these days, but... I'm less likely to drink out of the faucet than your average person, unless it's going through some pretty good filters. But Isaiah 55, starting at verse 1, ho, that's like that attention-getting word. Ho, can I have your attention? Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Anyone here thirsty? Joshua's thirsty. Sister Jamie's thirsty. Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, And he that hath no money. Does that describe anybody here tonight? I guess no one. We all got money. Praise God. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I mean, I have some money. It just doesn't feel like it's a lot. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. No, you, money's not necessary. No price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisf- satisfieth not? There's a lot of people doing that. They're spending their labor on things that do not satisfy. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. Amen. So I want to look back at verse 1. And I want you to look at that verse. And we're going to talk about who's speaking right here. The speaker took the role of a water seller going out, trying to get everyone's attention. I've got water. Um, Come buy water without price. 
you can have this water without, you can buy it without money. And so this individual has been commissioned by a wealthy man to give his water away as an act of generosity to the poor. He said, he that hath no money. But the words establish the identity, the water seller. Uh, that doesn't make sense. That's a typo right there. Established that the identity of the water seller as being the Messiah, for he alone can fulfill the promises made in these verses. And we know who that Messiah is. It's Jesus Christ. That leaves the question, who is the wealthy one who sent the water seller to give his product away? It must be the almighty God who sent Jesus into the world. We can read in Isaiah 55, verse 4, Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people. That water seller is the one that was given for a witness to the people, a leader and commander uh, to the people. So this is very, very important when it comes to the will of God. Because we are asking the Lord for his will. We're asking for his direction. We're asking him to lead us. And some people never get to the place where they allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be their commander. Where he says, do this or don't do this. That's, you know, gives the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. Some people are perfectly content to say, hey, you know, you can go ahead and lead me. Some people never get to that place. And I have prayed that prayer, God. I want you to not just be my leader, but I want you to be my commander. I want to obey what you would have me to do. So now the speaker is God himself. That wealthy man who commissioned the water seller and defines the water seller as his witness and designated leader and commander of the people. So this is talking about God and is talking about the water seller. So he was calling to the poor, Jesus Christ. This is a perfect picture of the Messiah, of him calling out to us and reaching out to us. Verse five says, behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. So this tells us the response of those who hear the water sellers offer. That's what it's talking about. They will come to understand that he will call a nation that he had not known. Sounds like the Gentiles, right? Sounds like you and I, those who were not Jews. Nations that did not know him would run unto him. They will run to him as a result of the work of the Lord thy God and in order to obtain the Holy One of Israel because he glorified him. Going on in Isaiah 55, we're going to read through this. Verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts 
are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not hither or thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So, this is the Lord God telling us the point of his illustrative message. There are four steps here in Isaiah chapter 55. So, beginning with the people who are lost in verse 5. So, first thing, um, well, it's talked about in verse 5, but we go back before that to verse 1. First thing is God gets their attention. God gets their attention. Four statements are representative of God trying to get us to take notice of him. Verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. It reminds me of a verse in the book of Revelation where Jesus said, hey, if you're thirsty, you can come unto him and drink, right? And then that second thing in verse 2, hearken diligently unto me. He's trying to get people's attention. Hearken diligently unto me. Has anybody here heard something but not really heard it? You know what I'm saying? You know, you're looking straight at the person speaking, but your mind's somewhere else. You heard it. You've done that? All right. Joshua's done that. Thank you, Joshua, for your participation. <laughs> Hearken diligently unto me. Incline your ear, we see there. Verse 3. Verse 4. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people. Christ is the one who witnessed of God. You cannot even know who the Father is unless Jesus Christ reveals him to you. Did you know that? No man knoweth who the Father is but the Son. And no one knows who the Son is but the Father, right? That, that verse. But when it says, no one knows who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. The only way you can know who the Father is, is if Jesus Christ reveals him to you. That's the only way. And there's some people that don't know about the son. There's some people who don't have a relationship with the son, but he's all about revealing God. That was his mission. He was God's witness to mankind. Jesus Christ witnessed of God. He rarely witnessed of himself. He was talking about God. Rather, he revealed the father. I speak his words, I do his works. Let's look real quick at John 14 and verse 10. 
when Jesus was speaking. Believest thou not that I am in the Father? This is Jesus speaking. And the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you. So Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. I think it's interesting that when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking the words of the Father. When Jesus is acting, he's doing the actions of the Father. He did not witness of himself, but he witnessed of who God is. That's who he was. That's what the water seller was a witness. So the Father witnessed of Jesus Christ by the words, by the works, and by the church. That's how he does it. So God becomes attractive to them. So here is this conviction question. After we give him our attention, God tries to become attractive to us via a conviction question and by making us an attractive offer. Verse 2 says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Here is the conviction question. And your labor for that which satisfies not. We have a lot of things that we do. We spend all of our time. We're spending our attention for things that don't satisfy. We're spending money on that which is not bread. Here's another example. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels in your spiritual life? Do you feel like that? We spend a lot of time doing things that will not satisfy. We spend a lot of time doing things that are going to do us no good in the long run. The Bible talks about redeeming the time. Remember, this is lessons about the will of God. God, what would you have me to do? And we act as if we, don't, we want to do what we want to do. But really, when we get to that place, when we genuinely ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to respond? How would you have me to act? So God makes an attractive offer. He said in verse 1, Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye by and eat. This is a very attractive offer. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So he first... His first offer identifies that we can't afford what he offers, but must buy it anyway. So it doesn't matter if you have the money or not. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy. I mean, you can come buy this without price. Maybe if you're wealthy, you're like, ah, I'm, not, I'm not sure I want to buy what he has to offer. And maybe if you're poor, you know, you might want that water but we've got to buy it. We've got to buy the truth and sell it not. There's some things we've got to buy. The second verse says, eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Some of us have something to delight in. <laughs> fatness. So his second offer appeals to our own selfish, selfish nature and desires which is all we have at that stage. At that stage, 
It's an attractive offer, right? Eat that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. This all sounds really good. And then the third one, his third offer, says in verse 3, And come unto me here, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. So the third offer shows his goal for us, that we will get more than we think. This leads us to loving him. You will get more than what you think. Your response is required, though. No one can obtain the promise without responding. Your response is a requirement. So, verse 4 says, I have given him for a witness to the people. Jesus Christ himself is the attractiveness. He's the attractiveness of this offer. He said, behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. So as they respond, he becomes a leader. If you reach out to receive his offer, if you begin to come to him, he will lead you. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. God said, I have given him for a leader to the people. Responding to the leader is voluntary. You have a choice. You get, a, you get to make that choice. If they follow, he then becomes the commander. Commander. For a commander to the people, he is to be our Lord. We are to be his servants. Obedience is required. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, in verse 4, a leader and commander to the people. So the very first command in this process is for you to repent. Now you've begun to follow him. You've sought the Lord for direction. You've sought the Lord for his will in your life. Lord, what, you, what would you have me to do? And the first command is for you to repent. That's the how-to of seeking the Lord and calling upon him. Repentance. And I don't know how many people, percentage-wise, percentage -wise, have truly repented. But I'm guessing it's not really a lot of people. Because a lot of people think it's just saying sorry. And it's a whole lot more than that. So, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. So if they repent, God promises a reward. He does not promise the reward as an incentive to get them to repent. That's not why he does it. But if you do repent, God promises a reward. He says he will abundantly pardon. What does that sound like? Remission. Does that sound like him abundantly? We need forgiveness. We need remission of our sins. So this is the promise of remission. 
when we repent of our sins, when we come to the Lord, right, he will abundantly pardon, right? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Why does God use this process? Number one, getting your attention. Getting your attention. I don't know about anybody else, but I begin to recognize And I've told this to people over the years, to my family, to my children. I realize that there's nothing that the world has to offer me but heartache and pain. I don't know about anybody else, but I don't like it. When I was a little boy, I seen people coming to my dad for counseling, weeping and crying. I I didn't try to be nosy, you know, about what he, what they were, what their problems were but some of them, they had some major issues. And I just thought, man, I don't want what this world has to offer. Because Satan has a way of making it look pleasurable, sin. But it's only for a season. But his way, it's so attractive. He offers us something. And so he gets our attention. When I realized I've been in services where I felt the power of God, I felt the presence of God, and I felt this drawing to come to the Lord. Have you guys ever felt that? I just felt that myself. Um, He uses that process of getting our attention, uh, attraction, witness, leading, commanding, repenting, a promise of reward, mercy and pardon. That's our God. Here's the answer. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. How many are thankful that his thoughts are not our thoughts? They're not our thoughts at all. He doesn't think like us. Have you guys ever questioned the Lord about certain things that didn't make sense to you? You knew that you should be doing something, but it didn't make sense to you why you should be doing that because the world does it this way and they seem to be successful. Has anyone done that? I've done this. I've literally done this. I've been God, you know, I don't understand how this is best for me, but your word says it. So I know that your thoughts are way higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. So I'm just going to trust you that you actually know what's best for me. How many felt like God was leading you through a trial and you thought, God, I don't know how this is good, but I trust you that you're doing what's best for me. It's because his thoughts are not our thoughts. He sees the big picture. He sees the big picture. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth. Josh, how much higher are the heavens than the earth? Hundred million what? Hundred million feet. Oh, that's awesome, Josh. <laughs> Somebody Google how many miles is a hundred million feet. Can somebody Google that real quick? <laughs> how many miles is that? 
How many miles is 100 million feet? How many miles? <laughs> oh, it's 18,939 miles. Joshua, I think you could probably rephrase that statement and you could say, what was your, eight, what was it? What was your answer? 100 million feet, 100 million feet. Uh, wow. You could say 100 million light years and be a lot closer, but that's still a long ways. You know what 100 million light years is? It's like how far light can travel in 100 million years at 186,000 miles per second. So if you find out what the farthest star is, that light from that star, somebody Google that. What's, how far is our farthest star, known star that we know about? And that light from that star, it starts bright, shining. By the time it gets to the earth, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, which is like almost eight times around the earth, that's how long it would take. Light year is how fast light can travel in one year going at that speed. What's the furthest one? 28 billion light years. <laughs> okay, Josh, so your number is really low. <laughs> so how high? <laughs> 28 billion light years is how fast light can travel going 186,000 miles, way faster than Danielle's ever driven on the racetrack. <laughs> 186,000 miles per second, right? Per second for that many billion years. So we probably still haven't seen the light from that that started shining. You know, we won't see it for so many billion years. The one that just, the light that gave off from that star yesterday, it'll take that many billion years for us to see the light. So his thoughts are way higher than ours. His way is way higher so this is why God uses this process. His thoughts are not ours. We expect, you know what we expect? We expect restitution. Somebody wrongs us, we expect them to make things right with us. We expect it. We expect them to repent. We want them to come and repent. We want, uh, if they don't do that, we, we want to retaliate. These are all alternatives to forgiveness and lesson on forgiveness. And we know that retaliation is not very spiritual. So then we just say, we can't do that. But so we'll do something a little bit more spiritual. And we have resentment. And we start resenting. And then we're like, well, that's not really that godly, having resentment. This is me having a wrong attitude towards them. So what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to isolate myself from them on my little reservation. I won't go in their circles. I won't talk to them. I'll have nothing to do with them. I see them at the store. I'm going the other direction. So reservation. Or we have roll-off, which is another. That, that might be the one we think is the most spiritual. You know, water off a duck's back. We're going to try to pretend like it's not bothering us. But, it, but it's wrong. It's not true forgiveness. Forgetting, we can't forgive and forget. That's not biblical. God will keep putting, us, putting it in our face. 
till we have the proper response of forgiveness. That's all lesson five. That's coming in about a year at this rate. So our ways, expecting the offender to make restitution, retaliation, resenting, living with reservation, roll off, or trying to forget, are not his ways. Our ways are not his ways. So you've had somebody that you felt wronged you. And so you want one of these results, but forgiveness is his way. His thoughts are above ours. His thoughts are more loving. When did God forgive you of your sins, Vivek? Already, before you even committed them, they are forgiven, right? That's when God forgave. Use mercy to lead the fallen to restoration. And I heard it said that forgiveness is one of our most powerful tools of evangelism. Think about it. When you forgive others, and when you teach and preach the message of how God has forgiven you of your sins, his forgiveness, it's there. It's a very powerful message because a lot of people have done a lot of terrible things. And if they were God, they wouldn't even love them. But just to know that God loves them and has forgiven them. And his mercy is available. His grace is available. His ways are above ours, more loving. Come to them, sacrifice and pay the price for them. He came to us, didn't he? He paid the price for us, didn't he? We've been purchased with a price. He offered deliverance and salvation to us. So his way is way better. If you have somebody that wronged you, do you go to them? He came to us. He paid the price. He offered deliverance and salvation. So if our thoughts were his thoughts, our ways would be his ways. His thoughts are way higher than us. So... Insights from promises. Verse 10, 11, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. A promise of future remission is given. In verse 7, a promise of future receiving from heaven, the potential to reproduce is in verses 10 and 11. The word of God is seed for the sower, bread to the eater. For ye shall go out with joy, verses 12 and 13 say, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So we have in verse 12 a promise of future direction and continued relationship. Where it says, you shall go out with joy, be led forth with peace, the mountains and hills shall break forth before you into singing. 
All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. A promise of future reproduction and proper fruit is given in both verses 11 and 12. And the conclusion is an eternity that is secure in God. And what is that name? Jesus. So God begins working with us while we are yet lost. God begins the process of working with us while we are yet lost. That water seller is making the call. Come. Anyone who's thirsty, come buy water without price, without money. So proof that God is at work in your life is not sure evidence of salvation. Just because you feel, you know, God did that, so I must be saved. It doesn't mean you're saved. Because God is at work at, in every individual. He's reaching. It's not proof that you're saved. But it is God working in your, in your life. God's blessings are gifts to lead us further into his ways, to his salvation. They are not rewards for our doing right. Right, Sister Jamie? Rewards come at judgment, not before. Many will allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be their leader, yet will not allow him to be their Lord, will not allow him to be their commander, and will not allow them to be their only God. So, the water seller represents Jesus Christ calling, getting our attention. And he has a very attractive offer. And the life that he has to offer is better than any other life we could live here. It doesn't mean there won't be trials and there won't be troubles. But he knows how to work all things together for good to them that love him, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so that's the lesson today on the water seller, Isaiah chapter 55. Amen.